it is a delight to be here again this week, and, and then tonight I will be someplace else, and then um, whatever Brother Wayne has for us tomorrow, they may just sleep all day, I don't know. But then uh, Tuesday we will fly back to South Carolina. We did have an excellent conference. Uh, you did, we did share that with you last week, that that's what we were here primarily to do. Uh, we had, I'm guessing, somewhere in the 80 mark that was there. A lot of um, good conversations, a lot of good instruction, instructions on biblical counseling and some many other things on helping uh, uh, situations of transitions for pastors, especially in the Latin community, um, and uh, teamwork, those kind of things. So we tried to take all of those things and make them work together so that we can help those within the United States, particularly in Spanish ministries, to be able to continue on and accomplish what they need to by God's grace and to grow. And so there are two subjects that I enjoy studying and thinking about and praying about particularly. One is the grace of God. That is a broad thing, but particularly the grace of God and salvation for us and that is so vitally important for us because without the grace of God, we would not come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we would not grow, and we'd not be changed, and we would not have eternity with Him, which we who know Christ have that blessed hope for that. The second subject is the local church, the church in general, but the local church in particular because... We live in an age in which the primary focus of God is upon the church today, and that has become something vitally important for me to remember and consider. One of the things that has made me even grow more in that has been, uh, in both of those, has been this whole thing of Russia and Ukraine in the past few weeks. I have seen other wars going on in parts of Africa and Asia and other places, but for some reason this seems to have stuck to me a little bit more. Uh, maybe it's because of the missionary connections I have, pastors who have those connections, people, friends of mine who have Ukrainian friends and Russian friends, friends of mine who have traveled to both Ukraine and to Russia to minister over many, many years. And so it has become a little bit different for me to think about some of these things and pray concerning both of those countries, uh, not necessarily in a political way and not necessarily in a governmental way of their governments, but more so about the churches and then about evangelism, the gospel going out into those countries. So as you would take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 2, and thinking upon churches in other lands, and, and the Dales have been in other countries, and I've been in a number of other countries as well, and seeing some of the things of churches as well as the last two years that we have experienced. Uh, we've never experienced, leaving all the politics out, never experienced some of the things we've experienced as a church in America in, in our lifetimes anyway. And, and with that, two years ago, actually two years ago, this week, last week, 
the world shut down. And I had been praying and talking at that time with a number of missionaries, but been praying that God would do something in our country with our churches. And so I want to leave that as a challenge with you today, that as we have, so to speak, come out of this pandemic and out of all of this, because two years ago, God shut the world down. It wasn't China. It wasn't the presidents. God shut the world down. And I'm not sure that the church has responded, at least in the United States, on the end aspect of that the way maybe we should. I have been praying that the church would not return to normalcy in America. I've been praying for revival in churches. I've been praying for an awakening in our country. And I'm just not sure as a general rule that I've seen that. I've seen... People say, I can't wait until we just get back to normal. And I'm not sure God wants us to get back to normality in all of these things. So I almost hate, hate to or hesitate to even share this passage of Scripture because here we have the beginning of the church and the beginning of the local church, both universal here body of believers, and the local church, particularly in Jerusalem. And in doing so, we need to come back and to understand what the essentials of a church is. We have, and this morning we have, and this is not a critical statement, but we have church bulletins. But I hope we do realize that we can survive without a church bulletin. We have Wednesday night prayer times, and I have some friends who still have prayer times meeting by way of Zoom and the Internet. And and there's a time in which we must come back and realize that we have have to change. There's got to be something different in our lives that we are moved by the Spirit of God and the Word of God because of of who He is, and we don't want to be just what we have been. I think that this whole two years in this war that's going on has impacted me probably more than anything else in life for me. So let's consider, let me read, we're going to concentrate on two verses, but we will reflect on maybe a couple of others as we move into the passage. So what are the essentials? What are the basics? What are the fundamentals of a local church? These things are important. So consider with me verses 41 and 42. When he says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. I I see within this text and a little bit broader aspect of the text five things that are essential for us when it comes to the local church. The first one we must consider is that there is evangelism that's occurring. The gospel is going forth. And we must examine those things and see those things 
and to take those things to the world. Now, Wanda and I are not a perfect example, and to say this is not to toot a horn or anything. But at home in South Carolina, we are part of a Spanish ministry, and so as we realize that all of our neighbors, there are no Spanish speakers in our neighborhood. So it makes it a little more difficult to invite people to come to church. And so we have tried to intentionally get to meet people in our community. And that come, came by way of walking and meeting their dogs, first of all, and then meeting them as a people. And so for the most part, we know most everybody by name within two and a half, three blocks of our home. And we have a we try to have a party every year uh, in the in our backyard. We've had as many as 50, a little more than 50 people in our backyard at times, getting to know people, knowing what churches they go to, uh, if they go to church or, or whatever. We've had uh, somebody make profession of faith. There was some people that needed to be married, and so we've helped them with that and and uh, counseled and discipled in that sense. And and conducted uh, in the middle of COVID a wedding in a park, and others have gotten married, and, and we have some great friends who are just so excited about Jesus that, and, and we go to opposite kinds of churches, and they come, and you can't get together without, without them talking about Christ just so fast. And one lady said, when she got saved as a young lady, her husband, boyfriend at the time, first date, she got saved. And he led her to the Lord, and she was just so radically changed that she says, it just amazes me that people, when you get together as Christians, they don't talk about Christ. And uh, that cuts to the quick for a lot of us. And so evangelism was taking place, and we see that in verse 41. They that gladly received his word. Now, whose word is that? Well, that's important because we need to go back to like verse 36, I think it is here. And it says, as Peter, because he has his long message and he preaches, and he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is his public message, that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter is preaching that Jesus Christ, who had been crucified not too long ago at this point, who was crucified and buried and rose again and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, Peter is preaching Christ, Christ the Messiah, he says here that he said that this Jesus, whom you crucified, he said, has been made both or is both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, who has come. And folks, that's the message that Peter preached. That's the message that Peter trusted and that's the message throughout the centuries that must be taught and preached and given. Evangelism, the gospel, 
No one will have their sins forgiven. No one will be in the presence of God in heaven unless they have repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. No one. And so this is taking place. And so then verse number 37, well, well, let me just say also that it's always Christ that is the issue in mankind and in this world. There are all kinds of other religions. But the debate in life with everybody always boils down to Christ and the relationship one has with Christ. And so they go on, the the congregation, the people say, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That means that the Holy Spirit severed and cut their hearts to understand. The word heart does not always just mean that which is here in us, but it refers to our minds and our understanding. And so they were pricked in their understanding that they have crucified Christ, their sin nailed them to the cross, and they cry out and say, what do we do? We have done this, what do we do? And then, of course, Peter says, you are to repent of your sins, and then that is to be demonstrated by baptism as well. And so we come back to verse 41. He says, they that gladly received his word. That is the word of Peter's message of Christ. And then what? They were baptized. They were baptized. So they were following the Lord and demonstrating we have repented of our sins, we are changed people, and we are being obedient and being baptized and identifying ourselves with Christ and this body of disciples that was already meeting together. It is interesting that they were doing that because, in essence, in the very first century here, the Christians, followers of Christ, were, in essence, known as a cult when, when you move on through here. Because it was out of the norm of everything else. And so they followed Christ and they followed the Father by way of the commandments of being baptized. And then it says, and there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so sometimes people argue, and and they can argue what they want, but it just seems pretty clear to me in here that they were united together in their faith in Christ, being baptized together and added together. It seems to me like it's pretty simple that it's there's a membership of a church going on here because they identified that there were 3,000 souls that have come together. And Jesus is beginning in this time fulfilling the promise of Matthew 16, 18 when he says, I will build my church. And they were changed. And so 
we have to stop for a second and ask, what is your relationship today with this eternal God of heaven and with the eternal Christ who is God, the Lord, the Messiah, whom God has declared as the second person of the Trinity? Have you yourself been pricked in heart by the Spirit of God? Because only the Spirit of God can do that. When I was a young boy, I was at 11 years of age is when I came to know Christ. And I was in a fairly large church in that day in the, in the 60s. And there was hundreds of people. And the auditorium would seat 400 people. And there was a balcony. And so there was 100 people up there. And there were a number of hundred down here. And the pastor had just been faithful in expositing the word of God and it was a most interesting time for me because I would sit in a spot with other young people, and my mom was in the choir, and you weren't supposed to do that. The, you know, the kids were supposed to sit with their parents, which is a good idea, and I would encourage that as well today. But I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I thought that only God was up here in the front of an auditorium. So at the end of the service, we always had a public invitation and when that was given each week, I would start to move back into the pews because God was here. I was getting as far away as I could, but it was the Spirit of God convicting me. And then no young people except being with an adult were allowed on the uh, balcony. And so I grabbed hold of a coattail and I went up with them. And you know what I found out? God was up in the balcony as well. And then the next week I was down here and I was sitting kind of in that area in the second row because the choir came down, they sat in those first rows, and I sat there beside my mom, which I never did. And I was just weeping at the end of the service as an 11-year-old boy, knowing that if I died I would, I would perish. And my mom looked down at me and she said, is there something you need to go and take care of? And I lied to her and I said, no. I, you know, I just knew, though, that that's the Spirit of God working on me. And then for some unknown reason to me today, knowing it was the providential hand of God, I was sitting on the very first row in that seat on a Sunday night, sitting with the pastor's son. We never paid attention together. He was always a bad influence, a pastor's son, you know. It's always a bad influence. And so Sunday night, I was under that conviction again. But I had no place to go. But my pastor, who is a wise and a godly man, watched me through all of this shenanigans that I was trying to get away from God. But now he was close to me, and he stepped down off the platform, went right to me, and just whispered, do you, do you need to trust Christ tonight? I said, Yeah. It is the gospel. That is evangelism that takes place inside and outside of the walls of a building together. And then I was baptized later and I was united with the church and that was my church family. That's the family of God. So folks, wherever you are, whether it's in your community and around your houses, whether it's here in the foyer or from the preaching of the word or in a Sunday school class or in a children's meeting or, or at work or wherever it is, we need to be living Christ 
because it's only Christ and his word by the work of the Holy Spirit to prick the hearts and lives of people to come to Christ and be saved. There will be no church if no one comes to Christ. So then there are these other things that are important here for us because once they have people who know Christ, that's the first essential thing, then there are some other things. And he says in verse number 42, he says, and they were, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So let's concentrate on that for a second, the apostles' doctrine. We have for years have heard people say, well, I want to go to church where there's not a lot of doctrinal teaching and just talk about love and talk about Jesus and, and, and all this other stuff. Don't, let's don't get down real deep and dirty in, in studying the Bible. But here we find that there is an emphasis, and the first emphasis upon all of this, because order of words and phrases means something important in the scriptures as well, that it was the apostles' doctrine. What the apostles had been taught and learned from their Savior, now they are teaching the words of Jesus to all of these disciples, all of these 3,000 people, and as the church continues to grow, that there was that basis of understanding the doctrine of who Christ is, who the Father is, and the Spirit of God. There was a discussion that was yesterday on a certain page in Facebook. It's a closed page that I was invited to. And one of the things was, is we're thinking about starting a junior church. And what age would you do that? What do you do that? And people said, well, we go to sixth grade, and some said we go to fourth grade. And, and I inserted, and I said, Be, we, we went to first grade. And I said, because we believe that they need to be under the preaching of God's word. And so a lady had come to me years ago when we did that, and she says, because we left from sixth grade and went all the way down to first grade. It was the last you could be in junior church. Second grade, you had to be sitting in here. And she came to me, and she wasn't real happy. She says, second grade and up like that, they really can't understand what you're preaching in, in, from the pulpit. And I said, I don't believe that for a minute. We helped them, we gave them tools, but I just preached and they took notes, even second graders were writing pictures about the message because we wanted them to hear from God's word in the public setting of the people of God what God has for them as children and as adults. The content of their teaching involved all of the scripture that is a contrast with, uh, with the false apostles that we see Paul talking about in, in his letters of the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy particularly, of teaching of God's word must be central in every aspect of our work. So if we do have Sunday school class, if we do have a junior church, uh, if we do have uh, the public pulpit ministries, it has to be centered upon God's word. I think that's one reason why churches, congregational churches started this years ago, but Baptist churches particularly, when they left, 
having a small pulpit over here for the reading of God's word and then another pulpit over here for the preaching of God's word, that we brought the pulpit to the center of the platform area, the, the wherever we are in here, but in the center so that we are proclaiming God's word as the central aspect of the church. Because without the word of God, we don't know who God is. Without the word of God, we don't know who Christ is or the Holy Spirit. We don't understand what sin is. We don't understand the salvation. And so it's the word of God, the apostles' doctrine. And they continued in that teaching of this. And then from the understanding of the doctrine, he said, and they committed themselves to fellowship. The fellowship. They were bringing their lives together and living life together. Now, you have to go back and you have to read through the Acts of the Apostles during this time and seeing how they were living their lives together. Because as time came about, they were being persecuted, they were being scattered, much like the church in many places today around the world. And so they depend upon each other. There are thousands of Ukrainian believers who are fleeing into Poland and searching out churches and missionaries and pastors and believers. And those people are bringing them into their homes and feeding them and clothing them because many of them went out of their houses. Some testimonies I've read where a, a, a father said and a husband said, get your things now. Grab only what you can have in your hands and they fled the country. That's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to understand that if this is all I had and the bombings were coming and we had to flee, that I couldn't maybe even go back to my home and get other things that I wanted. Now I'm dependent solely upon God and God's people. To wherever I go, wherever I escape, however I live. And that, that happens, of course, all through the world today and we just miss it. We don't understand it sometimes. Fellowship was their life now. People desired as believers to be together. Remember one of my first trips overseas was way back in the early 90s and we went to Jamaica and I was, we were there for two months and I was preaching almost every night of, the, of, of those two months, all but one or two nights. And I remember seeing people coming to church with a pouring down raining, sitting in the back of small pickup trucks covered with everybody's umbrellas over them because they wanted a fellowship with the people of God. I remember hearing testimonies of people coming to church and being held up at gunpoint on the way of being on a bus and somebody coming up and throwing acid upon their clothes. And so when they come, their clothes were acid-ridden already. But they came and they said, we are so thankful to be here. People who have walked hours to get to church. It makes me really wonder about the church in America at times. 
Because sometimes it's just any old excuse will do to keep us away. When these people desired and they loved and it was their life, they kept close-knit relationships. People missed, perhaps, and they would contact them somehow. And sometimes people can miss two or three or four months in a church and nobody ever contacts them in our context. The church was an integral part of their lives. It was the pulse of their lives. It was the mark of the Spirit of God who gripped their hearts and changed them. Is that the way we are? Whenever we get together, whether even in our homes or wherever it is, to fellowship together, or are we just kind of Sunday Christians? Well, then he goes on and he says also, this would be the next thing, not only evangelism, not only doctrine, the study of God's word, and not only fellowship, but in the breaking of bread. Now, we failed last week, Pastor, because we didn't have the Lord's table, and you and I talked about it on the phone, and it's the last minute, and it was got brought up here, and we said, now nah, we'll just wait until Pastor gets back, and, and, and that's, that's good. But they broke bread together, and this text identifies that they were involved in the breaking of the bread. And so my understanding is this part is an emphasis upon the Lord's table, that they did not miss the Lord's table when they came together. The breaking of bread, the the whole emphasis as we come together to hear the testimony of who God is and who Christ is, and that Christ says, do this in remembrance of me. And because of that, we have been giving life, given life, and we do this until he returns for us as a local church. Always concerns me when people intentionally miss the Lord's table. Because that is kind of like the church's true fellowship dinner. It should be a priority in our lives. Maybe not just a monthly thing. Maybe it's whenever we see the need or maybe it's a weekly thing. Churches do it all different ways. But in essence, it was in essence that they gathered together as a family around the table. And then they prayed together. Because this is a context of them coming together. They were gathered together. And so they prayed together. And in breaking of bread and in prayer. I, I am kind of overwhelmed about the lack of, and I haven't been in your prayer meetings at all, so I, I'm speaking in general. But I guess in America, as a general rule, I'm just shocked at the lack of prayer meetings and the time and the amount of people who come to pray together. I believe that the prayer time of a body of believers indicates the temperature and indicates the health of a church. 
And if a church is not praying, then a church is probably dying to some degree. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. It's not to change God's mind about anything. It's not to coerce God to do something. It's coming to God and saying, God, we need your help. We need you to change us. We need you to do the work. We as a church are nothing without you. And how often over the last many years we'd hear somebody who made this statement someplace and said, which perhaps will take place in the future, that if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the presence of a local church, the local church would just continue on as it always has. Of course, when the Lord returns and takes his church, the Spirit will be gone, and that's exactly what will happen. So where are we in that? Prayer is hard work. I, and I struggle with it at times. I sit down and read my Bible and then to spend quality time in prayer is difficult because I feel like I've accomplished reading my Bible but then to spend an equal amount of time with God in prayer and fellowship and talking with him is difficult to do sometimes because then all of a sudden we are thinking, okay, things got to get started for the day. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. I got these appointments. I have to do all these things. I have rather than spending time with God. So I've been trying to do something different. I've been trying to walk before I read my Bible in the morning. Sometimes it's hard when it's real cold. But, and to spend my time walking of praying and talking to God. I, I am reminded of Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, where the apostles, when they were bringing together these seven men, and we kind of talk about being the forerunners of, of deacons, the idea is that the apostles said, select out seven men to care for all of these other things. Why? So that we can give ourselves to prayer and the Word of God, and ministry of the Word of God. And I have had to stop and think about that because the word prayer is mentioned before the ministry of the Word. And maybe sometimes we put things backwards. Maybe we ought to be praying first before we open up our scriptures. I'm not going to say hard and fast on that. And so we need to be concerned about praying together, praying, praying for our nation, praying for the salvation of our neighbors, praying for the, for the needs of our community, praying for ourselves, praying for our families, praying for our government, praying for people around the world. And as I mentioned, some of this with all of the COVID the last two years has made me think more upon and praying more for our churches in our country. But then the last few weeks with all this stuff in Russia and Ukraine has driven me to pray more about their needs and who, who they are and the believers there and what they're going through and the salvation of both Russians and Ukrainians and churches in Russia to thrive and churches in the Ukraine to thrive. 
But sometimes we just are busy making busy work and doing everything that we don't think of the fundamentals and the essential things. Now those are the five things that we see here in this text. The gospel evangelism, which included here the subject of baptism and uniting with this group. And then second of all, the apostles' doctrine, the study of God's word, fellowshipping together as believers, being involved in the Lord's table together as a church and praying together as a body of believers. But I want you to know one last thing which kind of brings it all together, and that is found in verse 42 at the beginning, and he says, they continued steadfastly in those things. They continued steadfastly. The emphasis and the, and the idea there is that there was a genuineness of their faith that said, God has done something uniquely and different amongst us. These were religious people, and now they've been converted. But God has done something uniquely different amongst us. And then he says they continued. There was a continuance here. The idea of they continued steadfastly, and maybe some translations do this, but they, they devoted themselves to that. The idea that nothing will keep us apart from our assembly of believers. Nothing will keep us from praying together but God's divine providence. Nothing will keep us from getting to the Lord's table but the divine providence of God, perhaps. Nothing will keep us from, from not studying the word of God and being a part of our lives. They continued steadfastly. They have come to Christ, and now they are uniquely unified together. There is nothing else in this life like the church, and nothing should be like it. And so I want to challenge you about that. Do we just want to be normal like we have been? two years before now? We want God to just do a work in us and make us different. I want to be different. I'm tired of normal. And it's hard. How about you? Maybe it's time individually just to go back and to read that passage and say, Lord, where am I in this? And maybe it's time for a church, your church, churches around us, other churches to go back and read that very beginning and say, what are we doing? Are we just going through a routine? Are we just 
doing and hoping to get back to normal? Or are we going to respond to God doing something worldwide and now seeing God do something even within these two countries? Or are our hearts just going to be the same and not pricked by the Spirit of God? Well, let's pray, and then Pastor can close us as he sees fit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for you. We thank you for your spirit. Sometimes, Lord, we've been just the same old, same old for so long that it's just hard for us to make a change. But we know that we need to change based upon your word and the pricking of your spirit in our lives. I pray for grace here. Pray for Grace Baptist that you'll do a work in these people's lives that the community round about them will just come to the place of seeing an awakening and the church will be revived and other churches will be revived because of them. Do a work, Father. For we have to trust you and you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name who is our only hope. Amen. Amen.